Before we get started with today's show, I just want to congratulate the Bill Simmons podcast for winning the 2017 People's Voice and Webby Awards in the Best Sports Podcast category. Thank you to everyone who supported us and voted. Welcome to the Ringer NFL show. My name is Robert Mays, and I'm going through something right now. To help me are Kevin Clark and Mike Lombardi drive, joining me from Los Angeles. Gentlemen, how are you We're doing gonna tonight? We're going to talk this out, Robert. Yeah. We're going to get you to a good place by the end of this pod. I, uh, I really appreciate you guys being here for me in a trying time. <laughs> uh, it means the world, and I don't know if I'd want anybody else to be my comfort than you guys, and I, I really do appreciate it. So here we go. The NFL draft happened today, at least the first round, and it took about a pick and a half for me to lose my mind. Uh, what happened at number one is what we all thought would happen, yep. and what happened at number two is what none of us thought would happen. I mean, is there any possible scenario we could have envisioned where the Bears would give up three picks to move up one spot to draft Mitch Trubisky? I'm not calling him Mitchell. I don't care. Mike, is this how shocked were you by this? I, I was really shocked because, uh, you know, when they put all the money in Glennon, you figure, okay, fine, maybe they'll take Nate Peterman in the second round or, you know, they'll fall in love with someone else and they'll try to restore their defense and try to get something better. But, you know, clearly uh, San Francisco was in the driver's seat. I mean, San Francisco take, took all the benefit of the fact that Cleveland loved Trubisky and maybe there's another team that loved Trubisky as well and that everybody was trying to utilize that San Francisco pick. And John Lynch really ended up having just to hold an auction and he got the, he got the best of both worlds. He gets Solomon Thomas. And he only has to move down and collects picks from the Bears. It's just interesting how this is all going to play out. I, I just, I'm not in love with Trubisky. Kevin and I talked about it. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. You signed Glennon to this deal. Now you draft Trubisky. You've gone from no quarterbacks to two quarterbacks, or maybe you still don't have any quarterbacks. Kevin, walk me through your reaction, please. I'm assuming that you just felt bad for me but also thought this was hilarious that, it, that would be my assumption john lynch has been in the nfl for like 45 minutes as an executive when he already figured out how to fleece people yeah it's incredible. like this is a bad statement on on the, the current crop of <laughs> nfl general managers that ryan pace was just like here's three picks to move up one spot i mean i think it was an incredible job for them either they either they bluffed their way into it or there were you know legitimate offers for that that pick I, I i don't know if we'll ever know the truth sometimes we never know the truth on this until there's a documentary made 20 years later um you know f for me i just I, I i wouldn't do it if i'm the bears i mean i you know we talked about it maybe ryan pace gets a couple of years on his deal now um because you know the, the rebuild starts as soon as trubisky is is picked and, and now they, they get to build from there but i mean if, for me i just i just can't do it you just can't do it i'm, I'm not I, I i'm in disbelief of what they did mike i want to ask you two kind of process questions one when free agency really gets going in early march especially the way it did this year it was so close to the combine as a team, do you have any idea what you're going to be trying to do at the top of the draft? Is there any version of the world where they already think we like the kid from North Carolina? Maybe we'll try to take him at three when they sign Glenn into the deal they did. Well, I, I think you try to marry both. Okay? okay, so I think you look at two things. You look at your free agency board and your draft board is up. I mean, now you haven't been to the combine. You haven't worked guys out, but you have grades on every player. So you know where you're thinking you're going. And if you think you like Trubisky, then you've got to ask yourself the question, do we sign Glennon? And still try to draft Trubisky, or do we just sign Glennon? And if we happen to fall in love with Trubisky, we take him. 
I think that's a little risky. I think the quarterback is one of those things you've got to have a specific plan for because we are in a numerical business. So there's only so many reps you can give guys. And yeah. Trubisky's going to need a lot of reps. And Glennon's going to need reps. So you're not developing two quarterbacks. So I don't know how this works out. Now, if they didn't pay Glennon all the money and say they just took a flyer on get it, Glennon and paid him $4 million or $6 million, right? Then you say, okay, pretty smart. You know, they, they got they got to protect themselves, and then they got a young quarterback. But they gave fifteen million to Glennon. You know, they went they they put chips to the middle of the table here, so they got to give Glennon a chance to earn what they've paid him. And I don't know how you do that when you draft a young quarterback. The world's most expensive mentor. It's unbelievable, and it's not even just that they drafted Trubisky. I mean, that's one thing where I feel like. There's no plan in place whatsoever. But the fact that they gave up their third and fourth round picks this year, this is not a team that's one Mitchell Trubisky away from being a contender. It's just everything about it drives me fucking insane. Oh, I'm sorry. It's yeah, just been a you, really I, rough hour or two uh, hours or four hours. Some reporting that you got you got the milkshake. The, the Portillo's milkshake was incredible. I have to describe this to you. It's a chocolate milkshake with chocolate cake in it. Oh, my. It, it, it is it's all that I it's the only thing that could have helped me in that moment did it help yes it helped a little bit but clearly I'm still pretty upset I mean you're gonna have to wake up tomorrow exactly right this is not going away all right this is not another Trubisky Trubisky. (laughs) it's right down the street man I can this is not a Mitchell Trubisky Bears podcast but I feel like just kind of extending from that what I found most interesting about the start of the draft was clearly what happened with the quarterbacks overall yeah. i feel like we had more offensive skill position players go in that top section of the draft than any of us ever would have thought the three wide receivers off the board by nine both running backs off the board by eight and then the three quarterbacks by 12 mike which of the other two quarterback trades would you say surprised you more was it kansas city coming up for mahomes at 10 or was it the texans coming all the way up to 12 for watson you know, I, I think Andy Reid's coming all the way up and trading next year's one is the, pretty much a surprise. I know Houston traded next year's one, but Houston's team, you know, they needed a quarterback. Andy's mm-hmm. got Alex Smith going. So I think that was, but I think Andy, look, they made no secret to this offseason about how much they wanted to improve the quarterback position in Kansas City. And I think they were determined to do it, and they went all the way up and they got a deal. The pick that shocked me, though, without is the Corey Davis pick at Tennessee at five. Sure. Like, I don't get that one there because... You know, I know Tennessee needs a receiver, but to me, there's value. It's other players there that you could use. I love Adoree Jackson. They picked at 18. But at five, I just thought that's a little rich for Corey Davis, especially since he's coming off the injury. It's a receiver. You know, how many many receivers have they drafted in the second round, whether it's Justin Hunter, whether it's, you know, uh, the kid from Missouri, Dorelka, Beckham Green. I mean, it's like they've had so many of them, and yet, to me— I just didn't see that pick. So that's that's kind of surprised me, and that's what set everything off. The quarterbacks and the receivers going early really are what defined this draft. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, when you think about, obviously, Jonathan Allen, there were some injury concerns. What happened with Ruben Foster was the same way. But Marshawn Lattimore is somebody a lot of people thought was one of the best three or four players in the draft. And if you're New Orleans sitting there at 11, you got to be thrilled that he's just right there for you to be able to take the best corner in the draft when it was a huge need up in blinking lights for you. Yeah, and I, I think what happened, Robert, was everyone realized how deep this cornerback draft was. You sure. Know, um, John Dorsey said it was the deepest class in 10 years. Um, you know, basically, at one point, there was a thought there could be seven cornerbacks taken in the first round. Look, I think people were sort of under the impression that you could get a first-round cornerback talent tomorrow night 
or maybe even in the third round because there are so many of them. And so that's sort of why a lot of those guys drop and you say, okay, well, maybe would maybe Denver would rather have Garrett Bowles because there's just not a lot of lineman talent. It, it was a supply and demand thing that we, we saw unfold on Thursday. Yeah, it's a supply and demand thing combined with all of these skill position players going early. So when everything gets pushed back, plus you think there's some more around, then this is what we see. I mean, Mike, would you assume that the Corey Davis thing is that they wanted to trade back and they had some intel that those receivers were going to go a little earlier than they thought, so the run may start before their pick was going to happen if they did slide back a little bit? And my instincts tell me that they they probably had they wanted to trade back and nobody was willing to trade with them. Sure. You know, that's a long way to go for Kansas City to go up to get Mahomes at five. That's a long way for Houston to go to get Deshaun Watson at five. So they were kind of in that no-trade zone area. And, you know, and I think that nobody really wanted to go up to get anybody. And there was, like Kevin talked about, there was a lot of corners. So you're not trading up to get a corner because you feel like I'll get one of the guy, one of these three I'll probably get. So why trade up for it? And then the medical on some of these players really hurt. Like if Jonathan Allen's clean medically, the fifth pick probably, if he's on the board, is, is an attractive pick, right? But he wasn't. So you can't trade up to get him. You can't trade up to get Foster. All of a sudden, you know, the medical took over. And so, you know, I think he got stuck having to make that pick. I don't think that was the plan because we had Schefter reported it. Everybody's reported Tennessee was trying to trade out of there. If That, to me, was what they wanted to do. I don't think they could do it. Each of you, Kevin, I'll start with you. Was there a guy just talent-wise, scheme-wise, fit-wise that you love the pick just coming away from today saying – I can imagine it from day one, him being a plug-and-play guy and him really helping that team. I think it's obvious, and I talked to, to Stanford's offensive coordinator, Mike Bloomgren, about this last week. He mentioned Carolina as the dream destination for Christian McCaffrey. And the reason he said that is because he's good enough in pass protection that he can survive in that offense. But then if you just want to run... McCaffrey into the slot after you know pre-snap movement you can do it and at the, the the floor for Christian McCaffrey this year is a good two down back who can also be a great slot receiver on third down or or or, or you know basically whatever you want to do with him um you know he has limitations obviously he's not going to be a great um you know he, he's he's gonna it's going to take him a while to learn you know, sort of NFL style pass protection but he, he's decent enough but I just think the floor for him is, is actually a lot higher than a lot of these guys taken in the top half of the first round I think he's going to make that Carolina offense way better than people think. I think we could see the sort of Carolina offense we saw two years ago. Mike, you've talked about how you need to have a basketball team when it comes to your receiving core and your defensive backs. You have want, you want diversified talent, guys that move in different ways. And McCaffrey does that instantly right. for Carolina, it would seem, right? Right. No. And then when they spread the field, you know, they're going to have a lot of guys that can make some plays. If Jonathan Stewart gives them that power back that they, they need to go along with McCaffrey because they can line up two backs in the backfield yeah. and then slip them out and play them in the slot, there's a lot of versatility and they're going to be in a lot of shotgun because that's what Cam likes to be in and Cam's effective in it. And McCaffrey's very good at running from those formations and you can utilize his skills. I mean, McCaffrey may catch, may, may run the ball eight times a game, yep. but he may catch ten passes. You know, so he's going to touch the ball eighteen times. That doesn't count fourth down where he's going to make some plays. So you got a four down player. The guy I thought was really a great pick for the team, and Tampa took no time to turn the card in was OJ Howard. To get him all the way down there at nineteen, you get a legitimate starting Y on the line which are hard to find. Guys that can play on the line, can pass block, can run block, and then can get down the middle of the field. You get him at 19 in the draft, I think it's a great steal. That's what I would have said as well. I mean, it just feels like that's what they need desperately on that team. They have 
amazing options on the outside. With Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson, you have two guys that do different things but are just as dangerous as one or the other. And O.J. Howard is now a middle-of-the-field passing threat, which they haven't had for years there. They haven't had it while Jameis was the quarterback. Not a slot guy, not a tight end, and he gives you that instantly. I love that one. And the other one that I can just imagine just in my mind already is Hassan Reddick in Arizona. Mm, yeah. Because you add that to Christian or to Chandler Jones, excuse me, as a pass rusher, you have Matthew, you have Dale Buchanan. And what I'm thinking of when I think of Reddick is how they use Washington a couple years ago, just hammering those A gaps on blitzes and having just that really twitchy athlete in the middle that also gives you some pass rush help. I just feel like it fits really well with what they like defensively. Yeah. I think Riddick was a top 10 player. I mean, Riddick, or Corey Davis, for me, I would have taken him. Riddick or John Ross, I'm sure that Paul Gunther, the defense coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals, is saying, like, wait wait a minute, we just drafted a receiver. I need linebackers here. I need some defensive help. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I agree with you, Kevin, on that. Yeah, I, by the way, that Arizona defense has the chance to be really good this year. I think it comes down to, A, how good Riddick can be. But also, Mdiche, you know, obviously last totally. year's first-round pick, who was a— massive disappointment last year and Bruce Arians was extremely public about how how displeased he was with DJ. I think those two guys are, are really capable if they take the next step of, of creating a Super Bowl contender in Arizona again. I think he's really important because you need somebody to give you at least a version of the production they got from Clayus Campbell yep. because he was so important to both their run defense and their pass rush overall as being somebody they could get after the quarterback inside. That's what they need Mbiche to be. If they can do that plus what Reddick could give them, maybe not every down. You know, they have Dansby, they have Buchanan. Maybe Reddick is just a situational player in year one. They use him in certain packages. All of that stuff, and that group suddenly becomes pretty interesting. They're a team that could seriously use a corner in round two, and if they do that and get an upgrade over Brandon Williams, it's a scary group. Yeah, I mean, the corner last year really was what, when you when you do the autopsy on their defense, not having that corner solved and having to play Brandon Williams in the first game and getting beat, they never really recovered from that. That, that. They were a corner short last year, and it showed up all season, and I think they got to address that, and maybe they can get that in the second round. That's probably what we're talking about, Kevin, when you just talk about the depth. If you're looking at Reddick and you think, ah, he's eight on our board, he's nine on yeah. our board, we're 13, let's go get the talent, you assume that if you have that glaring need a corner, this is the type of draft where you can get that guy tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is it is. And I, I wrote about it on Thursday at the Ringer. I mean, this is really the cornerback revolution that's starting now. I mean, it, the, the the defensive players all over the board, whether they're linebackers, whether they're defensive tackles, whether they're defensive backs, the best athletes are now choosing defense, and we're starting to see that. I don't think it was a coincidence that so many. I think seven of the top ten. Um, picks were were offensive players, uh, skill players. I think that's because there's actually starting to be a shortage of those players because they're going where the money is. There are too many in the spread talented wide receivers. There are a lot of quarterbacks who throw the ball over the place. There's a lot of offensive linemen. I mean, nowadays, the best athletes are choosing defense because financially that's the best way to go, and we're starting to see that in the draft, and that's why there's so much depth. Yeah, Mike Williams going at seven, I also thought was interesting. It's kind of a luxury pick for San Diego. They don't necessarily need another receiver, but that offense has a chance to be pretty dang good as a passing group with him. And then it seems like there were some others that just were just luxury picks. I mean, yeah. Derek Barnett is a luxury pick. You know, you have uh, Everett Ingram in New York suddenly makes that receiving group pretty fascinating. If you yeah. think about him, Beckham, Brandon Marshall, and Sterling Shepard, 
we're cooking now. I mean, that is a really I, I terrifying group. I just don't know how you get them on group. the field all at the same time. I mean, because that's, if you don't think Ingram is a true tight end, is that the concern? Yeah, I think he's a, yeah. he's a big inside yeah. slot receiver. Blocking so, yeah. you know, so he's not he's two thirty four. You're not going to put him on the line and play him. But why? Now, what it could mean is it could mean they're going to play some more twelve personnel. They're going to be more in two tight ends. But now Shepard's sitting down. Now yeah. you're going to sit one of those receivers down, and I think that maybe they'll start to do that. I mean, Ingram's a really good player. I just didn't get the fit here. I didn't really understand it because he's a big slot receiver, and I think Shepard's a really good player. And I think that with Brandon Marshall, and then you, of course you got Beckham. You know, I, there's no way you can put if you're then you're in four receivers basically, and then now all of a sudden Kevin and I talked about this tonight. Eric Flowers is getting nobody's helping him on the edge. Yeah, that's a good point. And, spoiler alert: Eric Flowers needs help on the edge. Yeah, I mean, so more help for Eric. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it, they have weapons in New York, but the problem's still going to come down to blocking. And they, if they can't get the defense to count the five Mississippi, it's going to be hard to get the ball to any of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And you've seen teams do that before, but most of those teams don't have a tackle that's such a liability. I mean, think about the offense that the Jets ran a couple of years ago, where it was more or less not a single tight end. I mean, they used four receivers, even if the fourth guy was technically a tight end. And that offense just doesn't isn't exactly what New York wants to do, and it's probably what, not something they should do when you consider how much of a liability Flowers is. Yeah, we're, it, it's it's it, it was a there were a few of those, but that was probably the biggest head scratcher. I mean, because I really thought that the Giants could have been a Super Bowl contender next year if they made the right pick there. I mean, and, the problem is, especially since the the linemen slipped, the Giants were having an opportunity. Obviously, they didn't like Cam Robinson. You know, they had a chance to get a lineman, and they they chose they didn't want they didn't want to get one in free agency, and they didn't get one. And they talked DJ Fluger, but I mean, the reality is, is they could have repaired that offensive line, and they chose not to. It's not going to happen for them in the second round. I can tell you that. Why do you say that? There's just not a lot of depth in this offensive line. I mean, if they take yeah. an offensive lineman in the second round, perhaps he'll have the red shirt. Now, there's a couple inside players, and I think maybe they could get some of those guys, but it's really not a deep draft in the offensive line. So, and, and look, I'm all for picking the best player. I just, this move, if you told me the Cheesecake Factory menu with McAdoo is going to expand and change <laughs> formations, and they're going to be in, you know, they're going to line up a tight end at Y, and Ingram's going to be the move guy. Okay, I get, I get that. And then you become the Patriots a little bit, but I just don't see Ingram being the tight end with the other three receivers in 11 personnel. Yeah, you have to lean on him as a blocker. It becomes problematic. Right. Going through the next two picks, I feel like, in a way, they were some of the most surprising ones of the draft. Gary and Conley going at 24, mm. when you consider the rape allegations from earlier this week, just the timeline of it all. Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you know, you've got to be right. You've got to be perfect with the call. And I think, you know, there wasn't a lot of time to be right and be perfect with the call. So there's a risk here. Yeah, absolutely. And then, Kevin, I would say that looking at what happened next at 25. Yeah with Peppers. The Browns had your draft, Kevin hey, Clark. Hey, did you, did you see what... They took some um, jumpers. Did you see what Hugh Jackson said about Peppers on offense? I did not. He said there is no question they're going to let him play offense. I think he's a running back. See, Ooh, I, think, I, think wow. he's a, I think he's a runner. I don't think he's a defensive player. Well, he's going to start at safety and obviously return kicks, but you think eventually he's going to end up at a running back. Yeah, because I think that's where he's, he's best with the ball in his hand. If you watched him play safety, if you watched the Michigan workout, yeah. he couldn't make a play on the ball in the, in, in the middle of the field. It was, it was embarrassing. And he's not great in the box. I mean, that's where people, well, you know, he did this. He wasn't the adjustment backer. So if he's on the field, he's going to have some liability when he plays in the box. But with the ball in his hand as a runner and as a, as a specialist, I think he'll gravitate towards that. I think as a returner, no question. He's got talent to do that. But the problem was, he's, and I've said this many times, he's like the guy that buys the expensive watch, 
And then every time he wants to see what time it is, he looks at his phone, you know, because he's kind of an accessory <laughs> item, you know. And so you have them. And to me, the only way you can get to magnify the, the true ability out of them is to use them on offense. And I think that's where he'll success. I swear to God, I had that watch phone thing going in my life, and then I just lost the watch. Did you, I, don't, yeah. I mean, I literally lost it. I don't know where it is. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, buy, you know, when you buy an expensive watch, you know, you're just wearing it. It's an accessory thing. And that, to me, is what... See, that's the debate. Everybody has a debate. You like Peppers. I don't see him as a safety. One interception, 11 passes broken up in his career. I don't see the production. And he's going to get matched up on some people yeah. that he's going to have to cover, especially... And you can't hide him in a box. You can't I, hide I, the guy. I think if you're going to make him cover and, and, and put him in a very rigid system of defense, I think he's going to fail. I think it's more of a... You draft him, and if you can't figure out on play on a play-by-play basis maybe what you can do with him creatively, I, I think that's a problem with the team. I, I think it's just I, – I think Peppers can fit somewhere. Even if it's, like you said, three carries a game as running back and get him open in space. You know, play him at linebacker on third down in certain situations. Play him at safety. Play him as a slot corner. I just think creatively you just need that sort of positional flexibility. I think he's an asset. I maybe would have waited a couple rounds – excuse me, uh, one round – and just taking him in the second round. But I I, I don't blame the, the Browns for taking him here. I mean, when you look at what the Browns added, what they really did was just add three Uber athletes. Yep. I mean, three guys that just <laughs> move around absurdly well. And, you know, they need good players. And, and I, Kevin, I know you love the idea of finding good players by finding the best athletes and figuring it out later. That's what the Seahawks do. I mean, it's what a couple of teams have done recently, and yep. it seems to work out just fine. So, you know, three first round picks in, is in a single bad, draft is, this is a bad kind of crazy. To, to reveal that I was drafting for the Browns tonight. <laughs> no, it's not Since a bad time. All my we guys, all of my was, guys went there. It was going to come out eventually, anyway. Yeah. All right, before we get out of here, Mike, who are you most looking forward to tomorrow? Who do you find most intriguing about where he's going to go, where he might land? Uh, you know, I think Cam Robinson, the offensive lineman. I think it's going to sure. be interesting to see where he goes. Uh, I, I think that because it's such a bad offensive line draft, it'll be fascinating to see how that all plays out. I think the corner situation, I think that certainly is going to play here. Uh, and then the the, 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 Mich- the McDowell, the Michigan State defensive lineman, I think is another guy that I think he's, you know, people talked about him maybe at the bottom of the first round. So there's, I mean, I, look, it's it's one thing about this draft, there's a lot of players that are good. It was like a, almost like a second round draft all the way through it. Yep. I really hope some of those corners fall a little bit because if that's the one thing that can make me feel a little bit better about the Bears Hall is if they get a starting corner in tomorrow somehow. I they think, will be picking for the rest of the draft, so it's all I have to look forward to. I, here's what I think. I think we're going to have a Zeke Elliott, and obviously the Jaguars are not going to make the playoffs next year, but I think there's going to be a Zeke Elliott-Dalvin Cook thing going on next year where you know Dalvin Cook is going to be the Jordan Howard. It's in the second-round pick. He's going to be just as good. But I think that people, and there's going to be a debate for years to come, do you, do you pass on the guy in the top five and wait for the second round? I think Dalvin Cook is going to be a great, great value pick for whoever gets him tomorrow. I wrote about this this week, and I wrote about it today, actually, just the idea of what you need out of a running back to draft him in the top 10. And if you're redrafting the 2007 draft, you take Adrian Peterson in the top five, the same way that a team just did with the Jack, with Leonard Fournette. But you need him to be Adrian Peterson for it to be worth it. And that bar is so incredibly hard to clear that who knows? I don't know if he's going to get there, but if he does, that's the only way that you draft him as high as you did, especially with the other guys that were on the board. Well, he may not get there with the ground game, but he could get there in the passing game. And I think his passing game skills have to come out to make him worthy to be the fourth pick overall. 
I think Peterson was so dominant with the ball in his hand as a runner, and t- and back when he was picked, you could you know, there was a, there was shotgun, but it wasn't like the way we are now. Sure. But now everything's in shotgun, so Fournette's going to have to prove a he can run from shotgun, and b he can help in the passing game because if he can get out there in space against some of those little defensive backs, he'll be dynamic. I think he's underrated as a pass catcher. The way they used him at LSU, I thought he looked competent yeah. enough. And there's really no way to know in that offense whether the it guy was is impossible. You being held now. It was exactly. a nine on seven offense. I mean, they they might as well just eliminate the the, the they should have played the game from the hash marks in. <laughs> oh, the state of LSU football. It's always great. All right, guys. Uh, I think that's all we got. Really appreciate you helping me through this. Um, I'm forever you indebted you to better? you. Uh, no, not 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 even a little bit. I don't even feel almost a little bit. Rea- better. What was the reaction in Chicago with this? Oh, I, my phone melted. I'm, I'm not kidding. I got seven thousand text messages in like a thirty second period. There was a, uh, a liner on the block for the cake shakes. <laughs> I, I, there was a lot of WTFs. There was a lot of what the hell. There was a lot of just uh, it was awful. And I'm not surprised, and I don't blame people. It's. It's not as if I think Mitchell Trubisky is going to be a bad NFL quarterback. I don't know the answer to that. It's that when your process is terrible, it doesn't matter even if the results end up being okay. It's still frustrating as we move through it. And the process over the last three months has been indefensible in my mind. That's where I stand. Well, that's a good way to end the night then. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow night for a little bit more of this. And please go read all of the reactions we're going to have on The Ringer tomorrow. You know, read some of the stuff we wrote this week. Kevin wrote about the corners. Danny's written about all the top players in the draft. I wrote a profile about TJ Watt this week. We have a ton of good stuff. Please go check it out. And as always, we really appreciate you guys listening. 